Welcome back to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, thank you and praise you for who you are and all that you've done for us. I thank you, Lord, for taking care of us. I thank you for the gift of your mother that you gave to us from the cross. And I pray that each of us would have a greater awareness of the way that you intend the saints to be beautiful, sweet intercessors for our lives. I also pray that we would be evangelists in our own way. On this beautiful feast of St. Luke, I pray that we would be those who proclaim the gospel, those who live the gospel, those who radiate the gospel to those around us. Lord, we do love you and we want to love you more. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, welcome to the program. I've got lots to share today. I, I'm starting with a couple of stories that come from uh, conversations with Carrie. So uh, Carrie and I went to listen to a speaker talk about the need for prophets today. It was uh, like this whole conference on prophetic ministry and what does it mean to be a prophet. And there was it was one of those things where it's like, get ready to be surprised. Like, you know, sometimes I think that we can get caught up in our own line of thinking, our own ways of thinking that we might be, we might have some blind spots. And I talked, let me see, I talked. I, uh, during a program last week, I had as a theme, the house is on fire, right? In the way, the way that you'd act is very different if the house is on fire or if the ship is sinking than if the ship is not sinking and, and if everything's fine in the neighborhood. You know, it's uh, it, it's that story from Introduction to Christianity by Cardinal Ratzinger, where the clown is uh, setting up there. The, the new circus is coming to town, and and there's a fire, and, and the clown runs to town to get the people to uh, come out with buckets of water to help them put out the fire. But they all laugh at him because they think that he's just trying to convince people to come out to the circus. And sometimes that's how it can feel. When you speak in a way that's prophetic, if you say the house is on fire and people are like, you're crazy, <laughs> you're just, you don't see the beautiful light of day. Well, that, that's been my emphasis. That's been my emphasis on the, the prophetic side of things. And one of the things that this speaker highlighted was that a prophet not only speaks the message that God's people most needs to hear in a negative connotation. When I say negative connotation, I mean in a connotation that says uh, there is, uh, there's danger, there's pestilence, there's, there's sin that's abounding, like all that sort of stuff. But on the other hand, the speaker pointed out that a prophet is going to be the bearer of God's vision, God's hopeful vision for a moment in history. It's sort of like John Paul II in that new springtime. There's a springtime, and there's a there's there's a time, a new missionary age, a new evangelization. There's an abundant harvest, and that's something that I lived for so many years. I, I forgot. I forgot. I lost sight of the fact that that's also a really critical thing to do is to highlight to those who are laboring in carrying heavy burdens, that God has a beautiful vision for your life, and even for this moment in history, as hard as it is. And and even though I can say that it's getting harder, 
No, God has a beautiful vision. He's a beautiful vision for you, for your family, for your loved ones. And he has the power to bring it about. He, he's not just someone who, whose vision is a dream. Right? No, a vision is, is that which will come to be revealed, will come out into the open, will come out into reality if we collaborate, if we correspond to God's plan for our lives. And that was really good for me to hear. I, I really like that. And so it, it's making me be a bit more prayerful and thoughtful about sharing with you messages that I think are of importance in a prophetic way to highlight the the vision part, the, the positive vision of, of what God is doing and what God intends for today, and not only highlight the boat is sinking. <laughs> it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to always have that be the the form of the message, right? The harsh message. So so that was the first thing. I just wanted to pass that on. The second conversation Carrie and I were having was she heard another talk. Um, it was like later in the week, and it was about the Blessed Mother. And this uh, this speaker was talking about the way that the Blessed Mother provides for us a model of the Christian life. And 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 she she came away feeling a bit like um what was the word disappointed or felt like I don't know if that really is really gets at the essence. I but I she had a hard time naming what it was. And so that got us into the conversation. So she said, well if you had to make three points about the Blessed Mother, uh as a model for our life of faith, what would you say? And I said, oh, I said, oh, I like this. I can, I can do this. So on, the, so on the Feast of St. Luke, in which we get most of the, uh, let's say, the, the most significant stories about the Blessed Mother, that it's, it's a fitting thing today to identify some of these insights that Luke brings out into the open that are worth hearing. Uh, and that are so in, in honor of St. Luke and of the Blessed Mother in a month dedicated to her, I'm just going to share three insights just in this first part of the program. So the first is this that the Blessed Mother provides for us a model of the Christian life. That by, by that, when I say she's a model, it means someone that we can imitate, that if we do the what what she did, then we are going to come to benefit. We're going to advance in a way that if we miss out on the fact that the Blessed Mother is not someone we just look to uh, and and just say that she is so exalted above us that there's no connecting points between her life of faith and ours. Uh, she's some unreachable ideal that is in the sky above us. Then that will provide less power than if we less power for us living as disciples than if we stop and say, you know, our tradition, the Catholic tradition has always highlighted the Blessed Mother as not only the mother of Christians, right, because of Jesus, the mother, she was the mother of God, but Jesus entrusting his mother to be our mother, the mother of the beloved disciple. You're a beloved disciple, so you're mother too, that She's not only the mother of our mother of the church and the mother of of followers of Christ uh, by analogy, 
but it's also for us a model, the way she lived. Well, in what ways? So the three ways. The first was the one that I think that you hear about most often. It's the easiest one, but it's a very important one. It's by her fiat. By her, let it be done to me according to thy word. And and so the Blessed Mother is for us a model follower of Jesus, a model disciple, by the way that she was open to receive a message from the Lord and open to communication from God. Right? They, that's what the Archangel Gabriel is, a messenger from God, and brought her a very specific communication that she would be the mother of the Messiah, the mother of the Son of God. And uh, she said, let it be done to me according to thy word. She said yes. And that yes of the Blessed Mother is something that we ought to ponder. That there's something so powerful and important and beautiful about her yes that it makes us stop and ponder how important is our yes. Okay, just follow with me. This is something I've shared before in Sound Insight, but it's worth hearing again because it involves your today. Okay, this involves your today. Like how you're going to live your life today is going to be impacted by this theological and spiritual truth, this truth about being a disciple. It's that Mary's yes has an impact on God's ability to interact with the world. Whoa! Did you just hear that? That Mary, her will, her decision to say yes, even had God waiting. Whoa! I mean, come on. Well, in what way? Break it open, Tom. What are you talking about? God intended to, God the Father intended that the Son would be born into this world to be the Savior of the world. He was he was called to be incarnated, called to become man, to be born into this world in order to be able to die, so that we could we could live, we could overcome the the, the implications of sin and death, and we would live. Right? That was the will of the Father. That was the will of God. It was the will of Jesus to be born. It was the will of the Spirit to enable this incarnation. But it also took Mary's yes. And so St. Anselm, St. Anselm, this great doctor of the church, referred to Mary by her yes, her consent. She was a cause of salvation. That is such a strong word. Not just a collaborator, not just a participant, not just someone who played a role. No, she was a cause of salvation. Now, why was she a cause? I thought Jesus was the Savior. He was the one who caused our salvation. Yes, that's right. But Jesus needed to get in. He needed to get into this world. The Savior needed a door to enter the world. The Blessed Mother was the one who said, yes, you can enter the world through me. Jesus didn't teleport. He wasn't beamed down to earth. He came to earth by being born of a woman. That was the will and plan of God that that's how Jesus would enter this world, by the yes of a woman. And so the yes of Mary's obedience 
overcame the no of Eve's disobedience. And so Mary became the mother of all the living. She's the new Eve because by her yes, the not, K-N-O-T, the knot of disobedience was untied. There was an untying of the knot of disobedience by her obedience. And by her obedience, Jesus got to be born into the world. So hear that. Ponder that. Because that's relevant for you. So did you ever think about the fact that God in your today wants to be part of your world, wants to get in on this conversation, into that relationship. He wants to be involved in that activity. He wants to be part of that phone call. He wants to be in on all these things. But there's a way in which God awaits your yes. There are things that God would do through your yes. Hear it, ponder it, think about it. Your yes has an impact on your world, on on the relationships that you have around you. When you say, yes, Lord, I say yes to you. Come, come and invade, come come and transform, come and be part of all every conversation, everything that I'm doing today. Please, Lord, bring about what you will and plan to do through my yes. How beautiful is that? Do you realize how important you are in God's plan? Do you have any idea how important your yes is to what God is doing in your world? Oh, and by the way, in the world. In the world. What do I mean by that? Well, there are going to be some very visible yeses where you say, yes, Lord, please enter this relationship so that something good comes from it. Lord, say yes to the, to the lunch meeting I'm about to have so that something beautiful and, and holy and, and ethical or, or uh, some, something graceful will happen, but also in hidden things. There will be times today that are hidden from the world, invisible to the eyes of the world, where the Lord says, deny yourself this, extend yourself here, give of yourself this way, uh, pray in this way, sacrifice in this way, offer something up in this way. These are hidden from the eyes of the world. And the Lord, this is really amazing, the Lord uses those yeses that are hidden from the eyes of the world to bring about spiritual fruits that are hidden from your eyes. Whoa! You're going to have an impact in this world that's not even visible to you by your invisible yes to him. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. A lot of folks have been, um, that see me in church, 
and they know that I do this real estate stuff have been asking me, tell them what is going on with interest rates, what's going on with the market and all of that. I am going to, as of today, start producing short videos to give the sort of the the insights into the market, like what's happening, what what's the forecast for interest rates, what's the forecast for prices, what's the how how should this impact what you're thinking about regarding buying or selling a home? So just to, just to say, if if that's of interest to you, you can go to drtomcurran.com and you can sign up to subscribe to an email newsletter. There's one going out today. So if you're interested, go to drtomcurran.com. And even if you just turn it, like if you want to discern, like I, I'm not sure what to do. Our family's trying to plan and think about what's the right decision for us. Is it is it too late to to, to sell our house now? Because things are where are they headed? And, and is are we going to regret a month from now the fact that we didn't list the house when we could? Those are important conversations. If I can be of assistance to you in discerning that and be of service to you, love to do that. You can sign up for a free opportunity to consult with me. Again, just go to drtomcurran.com. I say yes. I say yes. All right. So today on the program, going back to this theme of bearing fruit, your yes is going to bear fruit beyond what is even visible. This is the, 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 the way in which the body of Christ impacts each other. That the Lord, who is spirit, the Lord who unites us in the body and, and fills us with that, with the soul of the church, the Holy Spirit, that there's a way in which he will use your yes to benefit even me. Wow. Your, your obedience, your yes to the Lord and, and the things that you do or the things that you avoid, the, the ways in which you extend and sacrifice and give, give of yourself has positive impact. It sends an impulse of life and blessing into the body of Christ. That is, it makes life so amazing. Doesn't that make life dramatic? That you won't even see it now, you won't even know it now, but your hidden decisions to honor the Lord, to pray, will have an impact that will only show up at the end of time. Man, I love that. I love that. In the end, it's all going to be revealed. It's all going to come out, brothers and sisters, how generously we lived or didn't live, how extensively we gave of ourselves or didn't, the hidden opportunities we had to respond to God's grace and and to move forward or not, all of that, all of that is uh, what's at stake today. (laughs) Yeah, hello, and you think you have an ordinary life. You think you, you live a boring life. You think you live a life that, you know, not a lot's happening. Oh, heaven is watching. Uh, St. Bernard of Clairvaux said that when the Archangel Gabriel approached the Blessed Mother and announced to her that she was called to be the mother of the Messiah, the Son of God, and will she say yes, that all of heaven stood and was silently waiting with bated breath for the answer of the Blessed Mother. They waited her yes. And again, that's so dramatic because it's so easy to see how much there's at stake in that, but to realize there's something at stake in your own way, in your life. Yeah, yeah. The Blessed Mother, the mother of the church, the mother of the disciples of Jesus. Yeah, she is not just an example for you. Uh, I mean, a a model that's at a distance, but she's also an example for your day-to-day life. Okay, that's the first one. That's the first one. The second is this, is that 
Um, after the Blessed Mother says yes, and what is then what happens in the gospel? Then she goes and visits, visits Elizabeth. So the second story that you see in, in the gospel of Luke is after the Annunciation in Luke 1 is, is the story of the, um, the visitation where the Blessed Mother and traditionally also St. Joseph go and visit Elizabeth and Zechariah. And you know the story that Elizabeth is, uh, is pregnant with John the Baptist. And when the Blessed Mother shows up with Joseph, she's also bearing Jesus. She's bearing Jesus. So the presence of Christ is alive in her. Okay, I'll come back to that. But the next, uh, the next major, the, the next words that come out of the Blessed Mother's mouth is in response to Elizabeth. Right? Elizabeth says, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And what does she do? She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. So fiat is the one word, is that one word that says, let it be done to me, according to thy word. And then the next word is the magnificat. So the magnificat is magnifies, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. And so um, the insight here that I'm sharing, that sorry, I have three insights about the Blessed Mother. The second of these three is that the fiat gives rise to magnificat. In order to say magnificat, you must say fiat. So Magnificat is my soul glorifies, magnifies the Lord. So that there's a very mysterious way in which we are called upon by Christ, his presence in us, to do something great in this world. We are called to magnify, to, to do something that that expands the, the way in which Christ is present in this world. And again, I know you might think, I, I have a little, I have a very small life, an unimportant life. No, you, no such thing. No such thing in the, in the kingdom of God. No such thing in the church. Your soul can magnify the Lord. And what difference does that make? So tonight, so I'm recording this on Monday night. Tonight we had our prayer meeting at St. Mary's and the theme was, the theme was adoration. I don't know if I'll have time to, to, to cover much of that, um, I'll hold that off till tomorrow or the next day. But the uh, the, the prayer meeting it was beautiful. It was just it was lovely. It, I, I don't know what you're doing on Monday nights, but if you have any time, six thirty to eight thirty would welcome you at St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. Very beautiful. I think we had forty five or so folks there, and some beautiful songs and prayer at the beginning, and then uh, I gave a teaching on adoration and contemplation. And uh, as one of the themes in that teaching um, was that when you receive the Lord, you are transformed into Christ. Christ comes and lives in you in an intimate, profound way where you now radiate Christ into the world. And like I said, I'll talk more about that later, but what is more uh, majestic what is more magnificent in life than that? I was talking with my kiddos at the car ride home. I think it was Sunday. Um, yeah, it was Sunday. We were talking, and um, I remember what it was. We got in the car, and John Mark, uh, he got a couple of CDs for his birthday, and he wanted to listen to this music. It's some Christian band. And 
we started to talk about music a bit. And it, the theme came up about, um, hey, how wealthy is this famous rapper who became Christian, Kanye West? And he's like a billionaire. And and then it, we began to just talk about, well, let's take a look at the lives of those who are who become famous through music and just ask, are they living a magnificent life? Are they living a life that magnifies the Lord? And they started to name, it wasn't difficult to name people famous, the most famous, among the most famous of uh, performing artists, musicians, whose lives are just wreckage, wreckage, disaster, wreckage, brokenness, disaster, just, and it's like, why, after all of these examples of lives just being just destroyed, why is that still such a magnetic pursuit for so many? It's such an easy default thing to say, I just want to be famous. I just want to be powerful. I just want to be wealthy. I want all of that because somehow that's going to make me happy. And then you have the Blessed Mother. My soul magnifies the Lord. Yeah, there it is. Not wealthy in the eyes of the world. Not powerful in the eyes of the world. Not famous in the eyes of the world. But wanting to magnify Jesus. Yeah, that's what I want. I want Jesus to shine forth. And, and that's what you have the opportunity to do. Through your prayer, through your yes to the Lord, yeah, he's going he's gonna to come to birth in you. He's going to be magnified in your life. And that's a noble life. That's a life that bears fruit and, and is a treasure that goes beyond this world. Okay, just hear it out loud. The famous on earth aren't necessarily the famous in heaven. Yeah, there might be a few like crossovers, like Mother Teresa, St. John Paul II, St. Mother Teresa. There'll be a few that were famous in the world and uh, that carries over into heaven. <laughs> but think about it. St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, she didn't pursue fame. Uh, she didn't run from it, but she didn't pursue it. And she, uh, the story is that she sort of negotiated with the Lord, which was, all right, Lord, if you bring me out into visibility so that fame is something that clings to me and every photo that's taken, I want to barter for a, a, soul of purg- a soul in purgatory being released. There's my deal. <laughs> I don't know quite how you come up with that kind of deal. But uh, th- that... That was the way in which, for the for Mother Teresa, fame was what it was. Uh, it was something to endure, to undergo, not something to pursue. But if it was going to be useful to accomplish the purposes of God's kingdom, the purposes of salvation, then she would use them, and then quickly set put them down because they're not uh, they're not noble. They're not magnifying of the Lord. So today on the program, it's the Feast of St. Luke, and I'm sharing just a few insights about the Blessed Mother. Uh, Carrie had asked me, she had heard a talk on, on the Blessed Mother, and, and she was like, what, what would be the three points you would share about being 
uh, Mary as the mother of the disciples, as, as a model disciple for our lives of faith? What would you say? And so the first one was fiat, you know, let it be done to me, and how that is a cause of Christ coming into a moment. The second was the reality that fiat gives rise to magnificat, that God will do something that magnifies uh, the Lord, magnifies Christ through your life. The fiat gives rise, fiat will then lead to magnificat. And the third one was a simple one. It was in some ways another sort of circling around this point that the Blessed Mother, by her yes, gave birth to the Word in her world, in the world. She gave birth to the Word in the world. And by our yes, we too will give birth to the Word in our world. And so how helpful and hopeful that can be for us to realize that the Lord intends to um, come to birth in our world. I think that's so helpful to know that Jesus wants to be born in your family in a way that will surprise you. Jesus will be born in, again, in relationships. Like, do you, Are you praying for the future spouses of your children that are called to be married? Are you praying for the vocations of your children? Lord, come and be born into those things. God will honor that. God will honor those prayers. And so uh, that, that whole model of the incarnation, the idea of being pregnant with the Word, that the Word was made flesh in the Blessed Mother. And in our lives, the Word can be made flesh. So as we pray the Liturgy of the Hours, as we go to Mass, as we read the scriptures, the word can become flesh in our lives so that our very flesh can become word, that our lives will communicate Christ. And that's a very Marian theme. And so there you go. So there's my three points. Well, I'm up against a break. When we come back, I'm going to share with you some quotes. Um, one of these quotes was used tonight. And again, this was Monday night. I'm recording this. Uh, a talk I gave at St. Mary's on adoration and contemplation. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to give that talk tonight here. I'll highlight some of those points probably tomorrow on the program. And um, and so uh, when I come back, I'm going to dive into some texts from Hans Urs von Balthasar, just some amazing texts. Uh, I'm doing this in a certain sense uh, to honor some of the ways that I've used Sound Insight through the years, which is drawing texts from different writers um, and instead of drawing text from St. Luke today, I thought, oh, this, this qu- set of quotes was something I pulled out of uh, my Google Drive. And I'm like, oh, there's some just great quotes here. And I want them to be a blessing to you today. So I'll, I'll do that in just a minute. I'll be back. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. 
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carn. It's great to be with you today. So one of the things that uh, is important is this idea of discipleship, talking about the way in which the Blessed Mother is uh, the, a model disciple, a model follower of Christ. Well, one of the ways that we will grow in faith is by looking to uh, looking to other voices who will speak into our lives to help us grow in faith. One of those authors who's had the biggest impact in my life is Hans Urs von Balthasar. He also, he's someone who had an amazing and deep and profound impact on St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, uh, so much so that um, St. John Paul II um, put together a, uh, he had a, um, a Paul VI medal, uh, which he gave as an award to theologians who made positive impact in the life of the church. And the very first theologian that he honored was Hans Urs von Balthasar. He also um, attempted to make um, Hans Urs von Balthasar a cardinal. Um, he was a priest, um, wanted to make him a cardinal, but he refused twice. He refused that honor that, you know, talk about humility and not, you know, staying hidden. Well, the third time, um, his refusal was refused. <laughs> his refusal was refused. Um, however, uh, as Cardinal Ratzinger, then Cardinal Ratzinger, the future Pope Benedict XVI said at his, at his funeral, um, that uh, God had the final say because a couple of days before he was to be uh, made a cardinal publicly, uh, he died. Uh, Hans Urs von Balthasar in 1988. Um, and just to, again, to give you a sense of um, who this man was in the in, in the lives of Pope John Paul II and Cardinal Ratzinger, now again, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, um, it was Cardinal Ratzinger who preached at the funeral. So that's not a little thing. That just does, he doesn't just, he was then again the, the, the prefect of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, right, working at the Vatican. And, and Hans Urs von Balthasar was a priest living in uh, Basel in um, Switzerland. So it wasn't like they were neighbors and they were working together daily, but he um, presided over his funeral. So that's really something. Um, cool story. Um, my brother George and I, uh, had a chance to travel around um, Europe a bit when we were um, uh, when we had graduated from high school. I'm sorry, college, and uh, we ended up. Oh no, sorry, different trip. Carrie and I, Carrie and I, when we were married before we had children, before we were blessed with children, we had a chance to spend um, several weeks in. Uh, Italy and in a few other countries. And we would um, um, stay in camps or tents or um, youth hostels. And we were driving through Basel in, um, in Switzerland. And I said, oh, it's Sunday. Let's, well, obviously let's go to Mass, but maybe we can find out where Hans or Balthazar is buried in this big city. And so we ended up going to a church, went to Mass afterwards, went to the priest. He didn't know much English, but I said, Hans Urs von Balthasar. And he said, oh, oh, come with me. And he kind of waved at me. We went out to the front of the church, uh, and off to the side was 
this little burial ground of the cemetery at the church. You know, all these small um, little plaques of uh, gravesite, uh, identifying graves. And he walked me over and pointed down, and right there on the ground was the <laughs> burial spot of Hansers and Balthazar. Incredibly humble, not drawn attention to, not set apart, not, no big sarcophagus and, uh, you know, some, some set-aside burial spot. No, just humbly, just right there. Anyways, that's that was kind of a cool story because um, I had no I, I had no idea where he was in the city. And sure enough, look at that. Ta-da. All right. So here's some quotes from Hans Erzman Balthazar. I share them with you as a way of hopefully um, helping inspire you to live your life as a disciple. This first one is from a, a book of his called The Theology of History. He says, Every Christian mission, if fulfilled forms the basis of missions still to come. Okay, just stop there. It's not the whole quote, but this is really a big idea. Every mission of every individual Christian, that's you too, right? Every Christian mission, if fulfilled, if we say yes and fulfill the mission, it forms the basis of missions still to come. Whoa! I had been talking so far about you living your life as a disciple so that your world would be impacted, or in some invisible way, the body of Christ at that moment when you're alive would be impacted. Van Balthazar brings up this dimension of history and this theology of history, that wait a minute, you live your life well, you fulfill your mission well, it's going to form the basis of missions still to come. Think about that. As a, you see that probably most obviously as a parent. If you fulfill your mission as a godly husband and father, a godly wife and mother, then the children that are in your family, it, you provide a foundation for them discovering, uh, living, growing into their own mission as well. Let me finish the quote. Every Christian mission, if fulfilled, forms the basis of mission still to come. If a Christian shirks the task of letting himself be built in at this particular point as a living stone in the spiritual temple, that's 1 Peter 2.5, then he alters for the worse the missions of all those who are to have let themselves be built higher upon him on the foundation of his completed mission. All our destinies are interwoven, and until the last of us has lived, the significance of the first cannot be finally clear. Wow. I mean, are you hearing that? That if, let's, let's, let's review it. If you shirk the task, if I shirk the task of letting myself be built into the, as a living stone in the spiritual temple. In other words, if I, if I fail to say yes to letting myself be built in to play the part that the Lord created me to play, if I don't say fiat, let it be done to me, then I will alter for the worse the missions of all those who are going to be built on my yes. They were going to be built upon my fiat, on the foundation of my completed mission. There's more at stake in my life than I realize. There are others whose mission is somehow connected to my fulfilling my mission. Man, that is, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. All our destinies are interwoven. 
and until the last of us has lived, the significance of the first cannot be finally clear. Man, if you had any doubt that you have an immense part to play, even though you think you live a quiet, obscure, hidden life, you're, you're older, uh, empty nester, you might be a widower or a widow, or you're, you're in the stage of your life where things are kind of breaking down a bit, you're thinking, well, I'm, all, I'm, I'm through with all of that. Okay, Abraham, right? 70 years old when he was called. Right, but even and I'm not saying you're called to 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 do what Abraham did, but I am saying that your call involves the age of Abraham. <laughs> you don't retire from fulfilling your mission, and in fact, it might be what you undergo, what you even suffer now, that will be the crowning achievement of the mission that you complete. Yeah, did you hear that? Ooh, that's a tough one. That is a big deal. Um. That's, in fact, another, there's an essay by von Balthasar. I don't actually have a quoted here, but it's an essay in one of his uh, volumes of the series um, Explorations in Theology. I think it's like volume four. It's called Beyond Contemplation and Action. And, and what's beyond, what does that mean? Well, uh, Sunday's Gospel. I'm not sorry, sorry Sunday's First Reading. Right. You had Moses up the top of the hill with his hands in the air. Do you remember that? Supported by Aaron and Hur, um, holding his hands up. And as long as his hands were up, Joshua, who was down in the valley fighting the Amalekites, would win the battle. But when he'd put his hands down, then uh, Joshua would, would lose. And that, in our tradition, has been a, a way of describing the relationship between the um, the contemplative and the active uh, uh congregations or religious communities, the contemplatives, those that lived a cloistered life, they were like Moses on the hill, separated from the battle, but their hands in the air, their prayer, their raising their arms in prayer was an essential aspect of being an engine, a spiritual engine for those that are actively living missionary lives in the world, those that are on the mission fields, they rely upon the prayers of the contemplatives. Well, what's beyond contemplative and active? What's beyond contemplation and action? Von Balthasar points out, and this shows up especially in the uh, Carmelite tradition, beyond contemplation and action is passion, is the undergoing of redemptive suffering. It's Christ's passion imprinted on our lives. That's neither contemplative nor active, but maybe even the synthesis of both at a higher level. And so some of you may be contemplative, some of you may be active at this stage, some of you might be just simply undergoing what is beyond contemplation and action, and that is passion. Enduring in your own way a share in Christ's passion, and in doing that, undergoing your crowning achievement. All right, I'm up against a break. I'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to the program. So, hey, um, speaking of contemplation and adoration, Eucharistic adoration, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I'm telling you, you want to be at St. Mary's on Friday night, this Friday night, the 21st, 
at St. Mary's uh, in the Valley. Um, Father Lewis is going to be leading an hour of adoration in the context of some beautiful accompanying music to, um, to help foster beautiful acts of praise, adoration, worship of the Lord Jesus present as Eucharist. And that's uh, the kicking off of another one of his weeks weekends of healing. It's it's a theme that he's carrying through this um, this year, this um, July to July to June year, a year of healing in the parish. And he's had speakers uh, come from around the country, and this time he's having a speaker come from his backyard. <laughs> I'm the speaker this weekend. And I'd love to see you there for the Hour of Adoration. And then at 7 o'clock, I'll be giving a talk on the family as a gift from God. It's a very enjoyable, high-energy talk. Um, it's based on John Paul II's understanding of the person as a gift and how that plays itself out in our lives and in our marriages and in our families. Uh, it's uh, it's very enjoyable. Uh, kids can enjoy it. That's from 7 until 8, just an hour long. The next morning is not for kids. It is parenting the digital generation, and it is crucial. The house is on fire. The internet is proof of it. The digital parenting the digital generation, 8:30 mass, um, start afterwards, nine o'clock until one o'clock. Three talks. Carrie and I are going to be sharing with you insights into the reality of the digital world. We are just. Uh, committed to helping parents wake up and understand and take action on behalf of your kids to preserve, protect, defend, and help them flourish in this world and to keep them away from the, the nastiness that is out there in the digital world. So we're going to be covering various aspects of it. Um, we are going to cover some of the practical tips and tools um, software and devices and things like that to help you protect your kids, but it's also going to be um, very much understanding um, ways to be engaged in understanding what is at stake, what's happening out there in this world. It's so it's not for the kids. It's it's for it's for adults, 18, 18 years old, older, sure. Um, but um, it's there. I'm going to be we're going to be talking about some things that are pretty explicit. And it's the goal is not to shock you, but the goal is to help you be aware. So that's parenting the digital generation. It's free. It's free, free, free. Free is pretty good. Uh, cost. Love to have you there. That's Saturday, the twenty second, um, from eight thirty. Come at mass, or just come at nine if you can't make it there by eight thirty. And it will be done by one. Done by one. Love to have you there. Okay, and that's again at St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. Uh, just off of exit 291B. Come down Sullivan, and it's at 4th and Adams uh, at St. Mary uh, in Spokane Valley. Okay, so back to these quotes. Yeah, so that's the, uh, <laughs> if you're going to play your part, that's a way to complete your mission, to play your part, is to prophetically protect your kids. Okay, next. Uh, the next one. Uh, this I'll do one more from the Theology of History. The disclosure of God through time is identical with grace. Access to him granted by himself. Time, in fact, is either real time in which man encounters God and accepts his will, or it is unreal time 
lost and corrupted. Time as the finite in self-contradiction, an unredeemed promise, a space full of nothing, duration leading nowhere. That is the time of sin and sinners, the time in which God is not found, because man flees the encounter, the time that becomes punishment for him. That's pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> that is not light. Uh, let's let's quickly re, let's go through it again and uh, unpack what is Vambalthazar saying here. The disclosure of God through time is identical with grace, access to God granted by himself. In other words, as you go through your day, as you go through the moments of your day, it's not just the flowing of past into future. It's the breaking in of God into the present moment. Did you hear that? the course of your day today, it's not just clock time. Oh, it's eight o'clock, it's nine o'clock, it's 10 o'clock, it's 11 o'clock. No, it's also now is the time. Now is the moment of God's inbreaking presence where he is revealing himself to you. The disclosure of God through time is identical with grace, access to God granted by himself. So it's God who is breaking into the moments of your day to say, here I am, I see you, I'm speaking into your right now. And what he says is, is that time, time in fact is either real time in which man encounters God and accepts his will. That's what really gives us that full sense, that meaningful sense, that flourishing sense, that sense of peace, that sense of purpose, that sense of life, that's what happens when we encounter God in the present moment. Or it's unreal time. It's time lost and corrupted. Time lost and corrupted, what does that mean? Well, it's the finite in self-contradiction. Each of these phrases we could break open. The finite in self-contradiction, meaning, okay, this thing is what it is, but where did it come from? Where's it going? What does it mean? Why is it here? What's its purpose? There's a way in which it, it contradicts itself. It, it identifies, it's crying out that it's created, but if you don't count the creator, then what do you really see there? Is, is it real time or is it unreal? An unredeemed promise, a space full of nothing, duration leading nowhere. Do you know what that is? Duration leading nowhere? That's a theological definition of hell. Yeah, duration leading nowhere. That's that sense of the the extension of time through time that is unending is hell. It, heaven is considered a fullness that overflows. Hell is considered duration leading nowhere. That is the time of sin and sinners, the time in which God is not found because we flee the encounter. Ooh, we flee the encounter. Not that God isn't there, in the moment, breaking in, available to be encountered, knocking on the door of our lives in order to encounter us. But when we flee the encounter, that time becomes punishment for us. When we walk away from God, there's something dark and painful about that. There's something enslaving about that. There's something diminishing about our lives. Even when people look, they, they might look in the eyes of the world and the measurements of the world with the stuff they have and the places they go, the things they do, all of this stuff, this paraphernalia that's around their lives, if it's not an encounter with the Lord that's life-giving where they encounter God and do his, accept his will, that time's actually punishment. Punishment for him. 
Isn't that, doesn't that circle us back around to the conversation I was having with my kids on the way home about, hey, pay attention. Where are all those famous, wealthy pop singers who have conquered the world in the measures of the world, but whose lives are just a mess? An unredeemed promise, a space full of nothing, lost and corrupted, self-contradiction, uh, duration leading nowhere. That's the time of sin and sinners. It's time is punishment. They're desperate. They are crying out for God. And so how do we not bring uh, these, these healthier, more profound perspectives out into the open so that we can ward off, we can um, say no to illusions that the world presents to us regarding what's life-giving, regarding what's going to bring us fulfillment, regarding the things that we ought to be pursuing, all of that. All of that we can find an antidote to if we pray, if we seek the Lord, and we let life-giving sources pour into our lives, speak into our lives, so that we can remember that who we are is not determined by the measures of this world, which is passing away. It's so fleeting. And if we live our lives in a way that glorifies the Lord, if we say fiat, and we will end up saying magnificat, and Christ will come into this world and be born into this world because of our yes, what's that worth? That, that is a noble, fulfilling life. That's the life that I strive to say yes to every day. It, it, but it's a battle, right? It's a battle because it's so easy to be tempted away and think, oh, can't I take all of that great stuff and then also pursue in my own secret way those other things, the, uh, the fame and the fortune and the power and all that other stuff? Well, I'm not going to answer that today. <laughs> I'm out of time. But come back tomorrow. I, I, I think I'm going to talk about adoration. I'm going to pray about it some more and see if I'm, I'm meant to dig into that with you or if I'm going to go in a different direction. So we'll see. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I pray God's blessings on your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.